0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Welcome to the show and welcome to Disability Mentoring Week. I am so excited. I'm always excited for Disability Mentoring Day where high school students with disabilities can go to companies and shadow an employer for one day. Oh, it makes such a difference. If you're not familiar with it, go to aapd.com and please, please consider getting involved. Speaking of being involved, I must tell you, I am so excited to have uh, our guest today on the show. Um, I know her. I know she's the real deal. She has been involved nationally in some very important legislation and has worked tirelessly to improve the employment of people with disabilities. She is the president of the National Organization on Disability. Welcome to the show, the president, Carol Glazer. Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And Carol, for our listeners that may not be familiar with you and your position at NOD. Could you explain that for a minute?
2: Sure, Joyce. NOD was created in 1982 at the start of the international year of the disabled person. Its founder, Alan Reich, was the first man ever to address the United Nations in a wheelchair. That was an historic moment, and it's especially poignant today as our Senate debates the uh, U.N. Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, and NOD is taking an active stance uh, in helping that treaty get approved, hopefully, this year in our Senate. But NOD addressed during that 25 years that Alan Reich was president just about every aspect of the disability rights movement in this country, whether it was the ADA or the FDR Monument in Washington, D.C., and probably best known for its Harris Polls, which every four years measure the gaps between people with and without disabilities along a whole range of quality of life indicators. And, of course, not surprisingly, those gaps have been large. Some of them have been closing. But the one that's been the most persistent is in employment. And those are numbers that haven't really changed much since the ADA. Only about 20% of working-aged Americans with disabilities is now participating in the workforce and is employed. And that number is more than double the number for people without disabilities. So we have to do something about that. And in 2006, NOD's board, which is primarily a corporate board, decided to turn all of its attention to dealing with that employment gap to try to level the playing field for people with disabilities. And that today is our sole focus. And in particular, we're working to help corporate America build a more disability-inclusive workforce. That is so awesome.
1: And may I say, going back for a moment to one point you made, the Harris Poll is absolutely fabulous. And I think I mentioned this to you before, Carol, but I always use that in my presentations uh, over the years, and it always provides such great data. So, yes. you know, I just want to tell you I think that is awesome. Um, and I think what NOD is doing is fabulous because Focusing on corporate America, the private sector, let's face it, that's where the jobs are. And if we aren't partnered with them, we're not going to increase employment. I find it shameful that after all these years, the employment of Americans with disabilities has not significantly changed. As a matter of fact, last evening, the kickoff for Disability Mentoring Day reception at the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh, PA, the speaker was Andy Imperato, And Andy talked about that. He talked about how the ADA was, you know, passed into law in 1990, enacted in 1992, um, and really how the percentage has barely changed, which is terrible terrible but I think when we talk about it a little later you are going to see a change but here's our question from the first listener which is Sally from Maine and the question is uh, Carol would you mind telling me what made you get involved in the disability area why was that so personal
2: to you oh sure Joyce that's an easy one Um, My Most of my career has been spent in the civil rights movement starting in the 1960s. I am the the product of the 60s uh, and of that generation uh, that sought to uh, promote the values of equal opportunity and social justice that are in our Constitution. We had a lot of chance to do that in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, in 1992, I had a child who was born with hydrocephalus, otherwise known as water on the brain, had a number of medical complications early in his life, uh, and has both physical and cognitive uh, disabilities. I was advised by some of the people in the medical establishment at the time to uh, send him off to a place that might be able to take better care of him than I could do at home. And that harkened back to me, Joyce, to all of the mothers who fought for their children to be taken out of institutions in the 1970s. And I remember that wonderful expose that Geraldo Rivera did uh, on the uh, Willowbrook Institution here in New York City. Uh, and I realized that there were mothers who came before me for decades who fought for the right that my child had to live at home and get a decent quality education, and blend into the community just as my other son, without disabilities. And I felt that it was time to join that fight, which is indeed the latest civil rights movement, and perhaps the last one uh, that we have to fight in our country today.
1: Yes, I I do agree with that. Um, and you know what? Here's what I always say. Give me the mother of a child with a disability and look out. Luck out, because you're going to have a very powerful crusader. Well, um, Carol, NOD, I know, has a mission
2: and has various programs. Um, How about if you talk about that? Sure, Joyce. Um, You know, when we started uh, working on employment, we formed a partnership with the military and uh, started working with the most severely injured veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And that gave us a lot of grounding into the way that, uh, in this case, veterans, which were uh, getting the public imagination in many respects, were being treated. And that gave us a chance to learn some lessons and to point to some lessons that employers were learning as they tried to uh, make veterans uh, get included in their workforce. From that uh, and again, with a corporate board, we have almost every industry sector represented on our board, and we also have a CEO council that is made up of corporate champions for disability diversity. With all of that, we, st- we realized that we could really make an impact by helping t- corporate America to build a more inclusive workforce. Harris polled for us 400 employers in the year 2010. One of the things that came back were that Many employers want to hire more people with disabilities. Either they don't know where to find them, or in many cases, they carry a lot of fears and and some stereotypes and some myths about increased medical costs, increased cost of health care, increased absenteeism, and these we found and we felt were, were stereotypes and myths That needed to be busted. And so we set about to work directly with corporate America, starting with an advisory to companies who want to build a more disability-inclusive workforce where we will help companies to set hiring targets, to make connections to service providers and other agencies that can help them source talent, to track their progress, and to keep the the, the pipeline moving along so that there's a steady supply of workers with disabilities. We set about to help companies do that to show that it can be done uh, without a great deal of difficulty and without a great deal of expense. Complementing that, we have our CEO Council. And then the third piece of work that we're doing most recently, we call the Disability Employment Tracker. This is a confidential tool that's available to companies who want to diagnose their own disability hiring practices to make improvements and uh, and benchmark their own practices against what we consider to be uh, industry standards. And then once we have a database built up, comparison to other companies uh, that are trying to do the same thing. And that disability employment tracker, we feel, is going to complement a lot of tools, That are in the marketplace now, or that are being developed in the marketplace right now. It's simple. It's easy to use, and it's something that we've developed in concert with the National Business Disability Council and our newest partner, J.D. Power, that is helping us ensure that we're putting in place standards that are rigorous, that are testable, and that will be meaningful to the companies who take the tracker. So all of these activities are designed to position us and to take advantage of the knowledge that we have in-house, both on the employment side, on the employer side, as well as on the workforce side.
1: Well, you know, what I like about the employment tracker you just described is the ability for a company to know, okay, where are we and where should we be? So I think that's really good. Now,
2: when will that be released, Carol? Companies can sign up now. And And how do they do do that? Just go to an email called tracker at nod.org. It's a tool that we will ultimately charge for, but the first 50 companies who take it will be uh, allowed to enroll for free. And, again, it's a simple tool. It takes about 20 minutes to complete, and it helps you track not only your disability employment practices, but also your veteran hiring practices, because as we know, and this I know Joyce will segue into some of your other questions as we know, all federal contractors will within the next six months be required to, uh, meet disability hiring goals as well as veteran hiring goals. And that list of federal contractors includes about 20% of the, of the nation's workforce or 170,000 companies. Yeah. So this is
1: right. a tool that will all help. That really almost everyone that you can think of.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: Including vendor consulting services. So, you know, okay. You heard, you, yeah, you heard it, everyone. <laughs> NOD.org, if you go there now, you can go ahead. Uh, if you're one of the first 50, and you'll be able to get this for free. So if I were you, I'd hurry up and do that. So you can be part of that right at the beginning. But right now we're going to go to break. We are going to come back in a few minutes with our guest, Carol Glazer, the president of the National Organization on Disability and a civil rights leader for Americans with disabilities to have quality of life through employment. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Carol.
0: News. news, 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 news Opinion. You. 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 Your voice hear counts. Me, Call toll free 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Rumberg from the TV show Heroes. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-472. 5788. Now please welcome back the host of disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. If you just joined us. We're talking to Carol Glazer, the president of the National Organization on Disability. And Carol, I was asking you questions about this on the break. I know you presently have strong corporate support. So maybe you can share with our listeners some example, of your corporate supporters, programs they support, and even how people could contribute funds to
2: NOD.org? That's a wonderful question, Joyce. Thank you. <laughs> um, I would start Joyce with our board uh, we have five major companies on our board all of whom have their own commitment to disability hiring and that includes Lowe's and Rockwell Collins the defense contractor Sodexo the food service company Sam's Club and Walmart and, and McGraw-Hill these are folks who contribute financially and who also bring a lot of intellectual capital and their own contacts to our work our CEO Council is a larger circle of corporate supporters, and that includes almost every industry sector. Whether it's J.P. Morgan Chase or J.C. Penny or Hershey Company, B.P., uh, P.N.C. Financial, um, and and Toys R Us, which is not only a contributor financially but has accessed our advisory services. And those are that that's another. Part of the concentric circle of companies who are actually reaching out to us and, and accessing our newest program, which is our bridges to business advisory services, and this was something we developed choice in response to a survey that Harris did for us in 2010 again, that showed that employers in many cases want to hire people with disabilities, but they need a little bit of help and guidance, particularly. Uh, they find daunting at times. The whole public uh, disability employment system, the workforce development system, the, the the alphabet soup of organizations and agencies that are either uh, publicly funded or that are funded privately but get government contracts. And oftentimes employers have many of these agencies coming at them all at the same time uh, claiming to help them and and positioned well to help them. But companies often are daunted by all of that. They want a single point of contact. They want a way of accessing a pipeline of candidates. That looks to them uh, like some of the other ways they access candidates. And so that's probably the biggest service that we offer to companies through our bridges to business advisory. We call it bridges to business because we are building a bridge between the supply side of the labor force and the demand side, that is, employers. And we're making it easy for companies to identify in their communities the service providers, the manpowers, the staffing agencies that can actually we help them source candidates. We help them put in place tracking. We help them set hiring goals. These are going to be services that federal contractors are going to need in order to comply with 503 and this so-called 503 rule change, but which all companies are going to be able to benefit from. Finding ways of encouraging your employees with disabilities to disclose their disability, to demystify it so they're not afraid. Uh, in order that they can be more productive and access the accommodations that they want. So there is already a sea change that is going on now by companies who are supporting us and who are joining a growing list of corporate supporters. But obviously when the list of just federal contractors alone is 170,000, uh, we still have a ways to go, uh, and that's what NOD is their position to do, and these are really what the programs are that we have in place on the ground right now.
1: And also, Carol, uh, if someone listening to the show would want to make an individual
2: contribution to NOD, how would they do that? Just go to our website, nod.org, and click on Donate Now. And
1: what I always tell people,
2: you know, we can't make a change without
1: resources. We can't do anything without resources. So everyone, keep that in mind as you're thinking of making even gifts. You know, over the holiday season, you can always give as a gift membership, or make a contribution in someone's name to NOD. So don't forget about that.
2: And again, with the disability. Okay. Well, I am
1: very proud to say, Carol, Mm -hmm. that I know a great former governor of the great state of Pennsylvania who has been involved with NOD, who I love very much. So I thought you could share with our listeners the role of Governor Ridge.
2: Oh, sure, Joyce. That is indeed a pleasure because it is my privilege uh, to work with Governor Ridge. We know that he's a, a man who has long served his country as a veteran, as a congressman, as a governor, as the first Secretary of Homeland Security in this country where he took over uh, 100, a 100 workforce of 180,000 and merged 20 different agencies into one after 9/11. He's a man who's always stepped up to the plate. He is a fierce, fierce advocate for the rights of people with disabilities, for leveling the playing field, for creating economic justice. And I would say that he is also part of what I would consider an endangered species, Joyce, which is that he's a moderate Republican. Uh, He takes positions that are aligned with his politics. Uh, but that sometimes require that he, uh, reach across the aisle and ally himself with folks who don't always, uh, who aren't always in line with, uh, with his, uh, uh, political persuasion. Uh, we could use a little bit more of that in Washington right now or we'd be out of the rancor and out of the gridlock, but, um, that's just a, that's an aside. He is a person who has been a stalwart advocate for people with disabilities and has joined some of his colleagues in Congress to support the, the new UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Uh, he is the chairman of our board. He leads a blue ribbon board. Uh, of companies, of some of the most, uh, the largest and most important companies in America today. He has helped put in place these initiatives. He's a businessman himself right now. He's a very strong uh, chairman who is willing to use the bully pulpit or the pen uh, as needed and his name as needed to get out there and fight for our issues.
1: Oh, and you know. To show everyone what Carol means about being a moderate Republican, people in the Democratic Party love him, work with him. I mean, he is just so awesome. As you said, a statesman, an example we need more of right now. Um, but a little story about Governor Rich. He was, when he was a Secretary of Homeland Security, he was overseas. And a gentleman that worked for him got this phone call um, that it, it, while he was eating dinner, that it was Governor uh, Secretary Ridge that wanted to speak with him. And I remember this person telling me they were absolutely terrified. Why the heck is he calling me? And you know why he was calling? He wanted to tell him, you know, when I was leaving, and I examined the staffing, I noticed that there aren't a lot of people with disabilities working. In, in the Homeland Security Agency, so I called to say change that.
0: <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll never That's forget funny. that story, and I thought, you know what? And that is so him. And also, he wrote an op-ed piece about Section Five Hundred Three.
2: Am I correct? Yes, he did, Joyce. We call that the uh, we call that the What's all the fuss about op-ed piece, and what he wrote to say is that. With all of the rancor that uh, was going on about the uh, the rule change that had been proposed by the Department of Labor, GOL proposed a change to uh, something called Section 503 of the Rehab Act of 1974. And... The, uh, the the rule change would require, again, all federal contractors to set uh, hiring goals for people with disabilities, and some in the business community came out with very vocal opposition to that rule change. And um, uh, protesting the, the bureaucracy of it, protesting federal mandates, protesting the requirements they'd have to uh, live under for tracking and for uh, for maintaining paperwork. Some claimed it was uh, in opposition to the ADA because it required. That employers give people an opportunity to disclose a disability during before they're actually offered a job, uh, so there was quite a bit of uh, kicking up of of dust over this uh, by many um, in in various quarters. And indeed, if the original rule as proposed had come out, it it might have been a little bit uh, stringent. Uh, Governor Ridge was uh, courageous enough uh, to write. Uh, in an op-ed this was the end of 2012 when the rule had just been proposed or was in the middle of being considered and said look um, this is not a big deal. Uh, just let's start hiring people with disabilities. You hire all the time. This is not that difficult. This is not that heavy a lift. If we would all get together and simply make this kind of a commitment to hire, we would all recognize that this is an untapped workforce that can add hugely to your bottom line and to your productivity. So that was a, some consider a game-changing uh, piece. But again, he wrote another op-ed, Joyce, that appeared in the Wall Street Journal last week commending this administration and the Department of Labor for listening and for taking into account the views that the administration had heard over a three-year period of considering this rule change, and they really did come out with a rule that was sensitive to the needs of the business community, that listened to federal contractors, that were responsive to concerns about bureaucracy but that stuck to the guns on the 7% hiring goal. And that's very, very significant because we know, you look at the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it was an act to prevent discrimination uh, of racial minorities in the workforce. It wasn't until affirmative action came along 10 years later that the employment numbers really started changing. So we knew that people needed, businesses needed a bit more of an incentive than simply preventing discrimination in order to change their hiring practices. We saw the same thing, not surprisingly, with the ADA. Twenty-three years ago, the hiring numbers have not changed. Discrimination, yes, but hiring numbers have not changed. We needed something more. In this case, the Department of Labor, to its credit, was willing to exercise the leadership and accomplish this extra incentive for federal contractors through this rule change. And Governor Ridge had the courage and the vision to stand behind it and to jump in and try to help DOL to pass something that would be as business-friendly as possible but still get the job done. And that's the kind of guy he is, Joyce. You're absolutely right.
1: Oh, he is. uh, He has helped just by that one thing. He has helped with an advancement of 503 that will impact the lives of thousands and thousands of people with disabilities. And we'll talk about that more, but we're going to go to break right now. We've been talking to Carol Glazer, who is the president of the National Organization on Disability, NOD.org. We'll be right back. To talk to Carol Moore, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: News. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
1: Hey, welcome back. We're talking to Carol Glazer the president of the National Organization on Disability. And I know we have, uh, you know, some things here we must make sure we get to talk about before the end of the show, uh, but I do have to read this comment to you from Linda in Kansas. And it is, uh, Miss Glazer, thank you so much for everything you did to help with Section 503. It is going to change the lives of of not just adults but children with disabilities hoping to have employment in the future. Thank you very much. Uh,
2: wonderful comment. And I will say that uh, speaking from my own personal experience as a mother, Joyce, that when I bring my son Jacob into a workplace that uh, where he sees people who, uh, who look like him and who remind him of himself, that sets up such a wonderful hope and something to aspire to. Uh, and it just changes his whole self-image. And, and so much of what we do as workers is based on our, our self-confidence and our, our feeling that we can achieve something. So, you know, we always talk here about the tyranny of low expectations. Seeing people like that, and that's why the the whole idea of children, seeing people in the workforce is so very important, setting expectations very high so they can be achieved. So that's a wonderful comment. Thank you.
1: Um, And I agree with them. Thank you for your leadership, Carol. And as a matter of fact, I happen to know that you were at an extremely important meeting that I feel had enormous bearing on moving Section 503 forward, and that is a meeting that you had with the President at the White House that I know Tony Coelho and Valerie Jarrett and many other disability leaders, but when I say many, don't be thinking this is 40 or 50. This was just, you know, a handful of people around a table talking to President Obama. So mm. how, about, how about that? What did you think about? about that?
2: How about that? How about somebody who started in the civil rights movement sitting across the table from the first black president? How about that, Joy? Yes. Right. I I will never, I will never forget that experience. And indeed, it it, it was possible to harken back again with that little historical reminder of what happened with the Civil Rights Act. And it's so interesting that the, uh, the ADA came 26 years after the Civil Rights Act, yet it was modeled on the Civil Rights Act so there is so much that can be learned from the civil rights movement and I think President Obama obviously at a very deep personal level recognized that and there was the opportunity for us to say to him uh, President Obama the job isn't finished yet you've done a great job and indeed this administration has done a very good job in hiring uh, federal workers with disabilities the president issued an executive order in 2010, calling for 100,000 new federal workers, and the, the administration is ahead of its goal on that. So we were able to say, President Obama, this is about civil rights. This is about finishing the job that you started in your own administration. This is about reducing the $15 billion a month that this country is spending on cash and health benefits for people with disabilities who are not working. And we know from our own data that between two-thirds and three-quarters of those people who are not working want to work and can work. So we're living with a system that we know is broken, and we know the taxpayers are paying more than they need to. And until we fix that, By teaching employers how to hire more people with disabilities, those numbers aren't going to change. So it was an opportunity to present to the president in so many different ways why this was a good idea, and indeed, he had the rules sitting right there on his desk Joyce, and I got to bring an NOD pen. We, we have NOD pens that we give out to people. And I, it was just a moment right there sitting across from Valerie Jarrett and Barack Obama with my NOD pen and being able to just push the pen across the table and say, Mr. President, it's on your desk waiting for signature, and here's a pen. It was a wonderful moment. I'll never forget it. <laughs>
1: oh, I mean, to me, that was a historic moment. And also to add to that, um, Secretary of Labor Tom Perez was at that meeting, and he, too, is a major advocate for the employment of people with disabilities.
2: Unbelievable leadership by by Department of Labor, um, by Pat Shu, who is the head of the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. Courageous, smart leadership.
1: Yes, and you know, I just, I have to mention Valerie Jarrett because I know Valerie, I've spoken to her, and she just, she was on my radio show, and she made it very clear that she was going to be a champion for people with disabilities, and she has kept her word. So, you Mm -hmm. know, I just want to tell you how highly I think of Valerie Jarrett. Well, we've been getting a lot of, uh, and congratulations, Carol, to being at that historic meeting at the White House.
2: Well, to all of us, Joyce, to all of us. Well, Carol,
1: I think... we've received a lot of calls from, uh, and I actually have had a lot of people ask me directly, you know, questions about 503. One of my favorite questions is when someone says, when was this new law written? And I say, new. <laughs> exactly. What are we talking about? This was 40 years
2: ago. Exactly. Just
1: never enforced, but this was yes. 40 years
2: ago. Yeah.
1: So, you know, yeah. a lot of people, really, they're not clued in. To uh, the Rehabilitation Act, I know even when I've spoken to CEOs, you know that they, they are not. So, how about if you share a few highlights of what Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act is?
2: Sure, Joyce. And, and the original Rehabilitation Act again merely prevented discrimination, and something a little bit more was needed in order to give that extra push to. Uh, the business community. And so probably the most important part of the rule change is that for the first time, companies have to set a hiring goal, what, what Department of Labor refers to as a utilization goal of 7% of their workforce. It's a goal. It's not a mandate. It's not a requirement. All that Department of Labor wants to see is that companies are measuring They want them to measure those who apply for jobs with disabilities, those who do do get the jobs who have disabilities, and they want to see progress towards meeting that utilization goal year after year. Uh, Federal contractors have to invite applicants to self-identify as an individual with disabilities at the pre-offer stage. Uh, currently, uh, what businesses do, and as required by the ADA, they give people an opportunity to disclose after a job offer is made. But this requires that companies invite, not require, but invite uh, applicants to self-disclose. And with a 7% hiring goal, it's of course going to be in businesses' self-interest uh, to uh, encourage uh, voluntary self-disclosure. Some outreach and recruitment goals are in there, the kinds of organizations that companies can reach out to, again, not required, but some suggestions about what companies can do uh, in order to recruit uh, more people with disabilities, requirements for data collection, uh, and then some recommendations about how companies can uh, offer people accommodations, so the, the original rule came out with a lot more requirements than what I just read off to you. Uh, the new rule has a lot more latitude, and indeed Department of Labor has said that they will be taking some time to get out there and talk to federal contractors in order to really uh, try to put some teeth into this and really identify what does it mean to do a better job at, at achieving a goal. So I think... Uh, It it, it takes just the right balanced approach to putting in place a quantitative goal uh, without having a lot of bureaucratic requirements.
1: Yes, and one thing that you stated that I think is so important is the part about showing progress. You know, in other words, it's not you must hit 7% this year, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's not don't do anything about it. You know what I mean? That's right. If if they see, what, are we moving to not even 1% or 2%, you know, that is going to be an issue. And that's why I think it's so important to realize that people with disabilities are not going to be burdensome. They're going to help the bottom line. You know, and, and you have a vast labor pool to choose from. Also, I've had people say, oh, we're violating the ADA. You're asking the person what their disability is. No, you're not. You're asking the person to voluntarily self-disclose. Not, hey, as I'm interviewing you, do you have epilepsy? So, you know, I think we need to make that clear because I'm not sure that people understand that. Carol, do you have information on this on your website?
2: We do. Uh, we have a statement uh, that I made, and then we have um, additional information on 503 with some of the things that, that we've just mentioned. What we will be putting up on our website are some, some answers to commonly asked questions like this, issue of self-disclosure. Again, as you said, Joyce, it's an invitation, and it's not an invitation to say what kind of disability you have, but merely an invitation to say that you have a disability. Some people have asked, well, is this an invasion of privacy? And the answer is no, because you don't have to say That you have a disability. It is merely an invitation. And the other thing we want employers to know is that it's not hard to get people to self-disclose. People want to disclose. People want to bring their whole self to the workforce. They want their employers to know things about them that might affect their work. But if they don't feel safe, Disclosing, they won't. And so to some extent it's really an issue of, of the climate that you create and the culture that you create in your workforce. If you have a, cl- a climate in which it's, it's, uh, you are Encouraged to bring your whole self and which you are encouraged to disclose and which you feel safe disclosing, then you're going to see those disclosure rates go way through the roof. And if we're at 5.7% now according to the US Census, that is the percent of people with disabilities in the workforce currently, You can see that it's not going to be that difficult to get to 7% merely by changing some of the the parts of your climate and culture so that more and more people feel safe disclosing.
1: That is absolutely correct. I, I agree with you 100% and as I've told people over and over and over when they, you know, are thinking, oh, we've got to spend millions you know, to teach this self-identification and, you know, to train people. Okay, I'm not against training, but let me just tell you, you want to see a difference? It's easy. Hire people. Hire people. If I go to a company and I am African-American and I walk in there and I do not see any African-Americans, I'm just not going to feel too comfortable telling my friends to join this company. But if I go to this company and I have a disability and I see other people with disabilities, hey, it's a whole new world. You know, if you know that other people are working there, you're also going to get that voluntary self-identification, uh, you know, of people that are already employed when they're trying to get people to self-identify. You want to see it happen, hire other people with disabilities. Um, and that is another question that I have. Actually, Carol, in addition to what I just said, you know, what, in your opinion, do you think we can do to show companies the value of Section 503?
2: Well, let's start with the numbers, Uh, and the numbers often tell the story, Uh, the disability market today, globally, represents about 1.3 billion dollars. That's equivalent in size to the population of China. You look at the disability market, that represents annual disposable income of a trillion dollars or 540-some-odd billion in the U.S. alone. And then when you add to that friends and family, that is people in their sphere of influence, you're getting to some incremental number of, of close to $7 trillion in annual disposable income. So you've got a, a market out there, a consumer market, uh, that companies have long recognized the importance of having a workforce that reflects your consumer market. We also know that a diverse workforce is a strong workforce, diversity in background, diversity in thinking. We know that. We've known that for a long time, and many companies who have brought people with disabilities into their workforce recognize that the problem-solving abilities and the tenacity and the resilience that you have to have in order to navigate a world, often that isn't built for you, are Terrific assets that can be trained towards higher productivity in the workforce. So if you start with the business case, and then you add the fact that, uh, over the next ten years, uh, American industry is gonna need by some counts, uh, Uh, 27 million new, new workers as baby boomers, uh, age into retire, first into disability and then into retirement. And the baby bus generation, so-called, that comes behind them is nowhere near that size. So businesses are gonna need a new and untapped workforce. Where better to look than in your own backyard where you have only 20% of that 56 million or or the 33 million working-aged Americans Who can contribute to your workforce. So businesses start with an incentive, a bottom line business incentive to hire this workforce. Then we simply have to show the good case examples. And that's why we have our disability employment tracker. And that's why NOD is going into the business of advising companies on how to implement these things. And the bottom line, Joyce, is, you know, I was at a, we had a a conference last week in Philadelphia. And we hosted companies on a panel uh, from Lowe's and PNC and Walmart. It was moderated by Luke Visconti at Diversity, Inc., and it was an event that was co-hosted with the Exelon Corporation. These companies were talking about how they've been successful and how easy it is and how every single hire that you make as a company is a risk. And But all it is is a hire, and we're used to it, and we, we know that when we hire people and they don't work out, we find new people. We should never confuse a disability with a lack of talent. And as a business leader, you have to be willing to take risks in order to diversify your workforce. So there's all kinds of reasons to do this and all kinds of wonderful case examples of businesses who have done it, have done it well and have done it without considerable expense.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, Carol, I want to thank you personally and also on behalf of all Americans with disabilities for everything you're doing to help us move forward with employment. Uh, because that changes everything. That is the game changer is employment. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: All right. So as I'm talking about all these great things you've done, Carol. you have accomplished so much in your life already, um, but I wanted to ask you, what would you consider your
2: greatest accomplishment? <laughs> Thank you so much for that opportunity, Joyce. And you know that the, the best answer to that is to talk to you about my team here at NOG. Um, it's a diverse team. It's a talented team. It's a team that uh, represents... 20 people from about nine different locations, because we do like to uh, walk the talk. We hire people wherever they are for their talents and their contributions. Uh, people telework at NOD. Uh, people work as, as best as they can in the environments where they're most comfortable. Uh, it's small, but it's got a remarkable national footprint, and it's an extraordinary group of people. Uh, who have shown an amazing ability to connect companies looking to diversify their workforce with the talent that they need. So uh, I guess I'd have to say the proudest accomplishment now is assembling this extraordinary team of people that are on the staff of, of NOD. And I guess on a personal note, I would say that um, uh, a privilege and not an accomplishment, but it has been a privilege to to get to witness the accomplishments of the civil rights movement and to go from uh, a march on Washington to uh, the first black president um, in the White House uh, all in one lifetime. And I have every hope and every expectation that in my own lifetime, I'm going to see people with disabilities move from institutions uh, that are just short of, of, or just short of prisons, uh, in the way that they treated people with disabilities all the way to having people with disabilities side by side with those without disabilities in the workforce, earning a competitive wage, supporting their family, and living with the dignity of self-sufficiency, uh, that can only be achieved by, by having a job.
1: Yes. And I'll tell you, it is the last civil rights frontier, the employment of people with disabilities. It is the last. And just like you, Carol, I grew up in the 60s, and you know what? It's just unbelievable to see what has happened, you know, where we are today. Um, And now our last – Ted Kennedy Jr. always says, this is our last major civil rights issue the employment of people with disabilities.
2: So true, Joyce, and I think the, the game is changing as we speak. I think the pace of change is going to accelerate in a way that nobody could have predicted even five or ten years ago.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you more than the ADA. I mean, there's no question about it. One of my greatest honors was meeting President George H.W. Bush we mm-hmm. um, thinking what he's done, thinking what he did with that signature. And, and the other person is, of course, Tony Coelho, uh, author of the ADA. You know, and I mean, I just want to see it move. And I think with this game changer in the area of employment, it will move as never before.
2: Once we get the UN Convention on the rights oh, of people with I disabilities approved.
1: We can I all take a
2: breather, but not yes. until then. Yes, <laughs> That's
1: right. So, Carol, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today?
2: No, I would just say, Joyce, that, um, you know, the, the diversity of perspective that you get um, by tapping into this untapped workforce is extraordinary. And there are companies who are doing it and who are doing it well. And... Um, You know, we have to get rid of the double standard. We have to get rid of the standard that says, well, people with disabilities have lower absenteeism and have longer retention rates. I think it should be enough to say that this is a highly talented workforce that has been left out of the economic mainstream. And it's time to level the playing field both as a matter of social and economic justice. But also as a matter of economic progress, that as a country and as an industry, we're going to start making advances once we have everybody in the community and everybody in, in our society represented in the workforce. And I would say for companies that are listening, I would just emphasize that by making the commitment, you've taken the first step. There are plenty of organizations around like mine who can help you, and we're all ready and willing. Right, and
1: that, by the way, once again, Carol Glazer, President of the National Organization on Disability at nod.org. Carol, thank you so much for being
2: with us today. Thank you for what you do, Joyce. You're an extraordinary leader.
1: We end, thank you, Carol, but we end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted the lives of people with disabilities and actually people throughout the world. And the quote today is, Employment for all of us with disabilities gives us dignity, said Tony Coelho, author of the Americans with Disabilities Act. This is Joyce Bender.